Whether you're looking at a verse or a paragraph or a whole section, you need to see everything that the Holy Spirit put there. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into the 28th episode of Working with the Word. We are stepping away from our whole story series for the moment as we've had the opportunity to talk with Warren Berkeley about observation and application in our study of God's Word. We hope you enjoy this conversation and we know you will benefit a lot from tuning in today. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Jeff O'Rear from Working with the Word with my co-host Emerson Brown. Today, we are very excited to have Brother Warren Berkeley with us to talk about Bible study. As we prepare for these interview episodes, we usually ask our guests to provide some type of short bio and an email for their introduction. Brother Warren replied yesterday, a short bio should be easy. I'm a short preacher, and I've been short for about 74 years. (laughs) So along with possessing a great sense of humor, Brother Warren has been preaching for 51 years, the past 31 of those with the Laurel Heights Church in McAllen. He has published a few works as the past co-editor of Expository Files, as a current co-editor of Pressing On Magazine, writes a blog, has a podcast, has been married to his wife Paula for 51 years, has 10 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. We are extremely excited to have Brother Warren with us today because he is such an excellent Bible student and Bible teacher who will help us to grow in our own disciplines of Bible reading and Bible study and help us to know God better through his word. Thank you for joining us, Brother Warren. I really appreciate it. I've listened to some of your work, and I'm privileged to be a part of it. Well, thank you. One of the things we've talked about on our podcast, Jeff and I have talked about how to grow deeper in our Bible study, and particularly through the steps of observation, interpretation, and application So today we want to get your thoughts on particularly observation and application, but we want to start with a a really general question. Why do you think it's important that we study the Bible to begin with? Well, it is our lifeline with God. I I think it is ill-advised for anyone to talk about a relationship with God or following Jesus Christ without connecting that and basing all of that on God's revelation. So it is our lifeline in our relationship with God. If we ever get away from it, we get away from our relationship with God. God has communicated to us, so relationship with him on his end involved his communication with us and his display of love and mercy. On our end, we are receivers, and we are receivers of his grace and mercy as we read about Christ, and as we comply with what God asks us to do, written in his word. Yeah, are, are there any passages that just immediately come to mind when it comes to the importance of Bible study or the importance of God's revelation to us through the written word? What, what passages come to mind that convey that importance? I usually think of Ephesians chapter 3, especially the phrase where Paul said in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. 
So if I want to know about Christ and the mystery, and the word mystery there is in the sense of God's plan, if I want to know all about that, I'm going to have to read. If I can't read, I'm going to have to listen to someone read. So uh, that is one passage that immediately comes to mind in Ephesians 3 and verse 4. And then perhaps the other one would be the opening statement in the book of Hebrews, where it says, God has spoken to us by his son. Well, the immediate question is, am I listening? If God has spoken by his son, and his son has been appointed the heir of all things, and he's the radiance of the glory of God, and well, I ought to be listening. Mm -hmm. And so those two passages immediately come to mind when it comes to reading and studying the Bible and sharing that message with others. Yeah, the, the gift of God's word is, is just that, it's a gift. And so if we love his son, then we're going to love what he says, and that's communicated through the word. So let, let's think a little bit uh, deeper about these two steps of observation and, and application. Jeff and I have talked about observation, opening your eyes, trying to see what's there in the word. Why do you think this is an, an important beginning step as we try to read what God says and understand it? What are we trying to do when it comes to observation? We need to see everything that's there. Whether you're looking at a verse or a paragraph or a whole section, you need to see everything that the Holy Spirit put there. Observation is not just about opening the Bible and looking at a page. That's, that's an interesting page. Or looking at a verse and just saying, boy, I like that verse or a word. Uh, it's about everything the Holy Spirit put there for us to observe. Observation has several dimensions or levels. One of the early books I read about Bible study, Living by the Book by Howard and William Hendricks. And when he talks about observation, he refers to Psalms 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. And Hendricks gives things to look for. And it, it, it helps you break observation down into its components. Look for what is emphasized. Look for the main idea. Look for what is repeated. Things that are related to what went before and what's going to come after. Things that are alike and things that are unlike. So observation involves a full view of everything the Holy Spirit put there for us to see about a word, a verse, a passage, or a section. Now, I offered those as examples to stress that observation is more than just a casual look at a page or a passage. And, you know, I was in music for several years, and, and I think Jeff was, maybe Emerson, you were. Can you imagine looking at an orchestral score or sheet music and looking at an individual note and saying, man, I like that note. <laughs> that's a B flat. I'm going to have a recital and I'm going to entertain the audience and I'm going to play that B flat. Well, that's not what the composer of the piece had in mind at all. B flat is a part of everything else that you observe and learn. And in the case of music, you would play. 
I've also heard context described in terms of microscope, telescope, and binoculars. And I've heard context described in terms of literary context, what's there on the page, uh, immediate context sometimes, and then broader, more general context where you look at what came before and what came after and what was the setting. That's all involved in observation. Mm-hmm. So just by talking about all of that, I think you, you've addressed that there are many layers to it and you're helping us to understand that this is not going to be just a, a four-minute read of one little paragraph or of one particular page. There probably isn't a hard, fast rule about how long we would spend an observation, but if someone asked you, how long do I need to observe something like Ephesians 3 or that first paragraph of Hebrews 1, what might you say to that person? Well, what I do, I look for the main idea, and sometimes that'll take me a moment or two. Sometimes it may take me years. (laughs) It depends on the passage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes when I do observation, at first glance, I can pick up the main idea. Can I give you an example from 1 John Mm -hmm. chapter 4, verses 1 to 6? I'll read the familiar part of that. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So when I read 1 John 4, 1 to 6, I see the main idea pretty quickly there. The main idea is discernment between truth and error. And John applies that to a very urgent matter prevalent in his time. And that was a denial of who Jesus is, particularly his humanity. And then John comes back in verse 6, and he says, there is truth and there is error. So now what I've done, I've identified the main idea, discernment. What I want to do is look back into the text and make certain the parts of the passage support that main idea. Mm-hmm. And, and to see what John has to say about discernment. So that's not going to take very long in 1 John 4, 1 to 6. If I'm over in Romans 7 or in Romans 9, first glance will probably not get it. I, it's going to take more time for me to observe everything that's there. So the time that it takes to do observation is going to depend a lot on the passage. Absolutely. And that's helpful to know that if maybe we feel like we don't get it the first time, it, it may not be our deficiency. It might just mean that we need to be prepared to continue to observe. Yeah. And, and one of the things that is hard sometimes in Bible study is having patience that we are going to spend the appropriate amount of time in observation. We want to spend enough time in observation before we start jumping to interpretation and even application that we can know that we're actually using the passage well, and we're actually using it correctly, that we're seeing everything that's there. And so having the patience to do that is hard sometimes. Particularly hard for preachers and teachers because we operate on deadlines. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You you got two sermons a week and two classes a week and some other stuff that you do. And so it's tempting to sit down and schedule everything. But sometimes you just have to 
you have to spend more time to see everything that's there and make sure your conclusions are authentic. Because if we rush observation, do you see that that hinders stuff farther down the line? I guess the question of, like Emerson mentioned, it's hard to have that patience. We want to jump into, we really want to jump to application. We want to say, okay, what does this mean for me? And I want to apply it. So why spend the time there? What's the dangers or what's the benefits of spending that time in observation? That's like asking, why wait for the doctor to get lab results? Just give me some medicine you've got there. (laughs) Care is what this is about. If you're going to take care in regard to your physical health, you need to take extraordinary care in regard to your spiritual health. And so uh, the starting place in good Bible study isn't application. Mm -hmm. It is observation. And I usually include interpretation in that, but you you can read that separately. You have to see what's really there. Let me give you another example, if I may. From 1 John 2.27, 1 John 2.27 speaks of the anointing. Now, people with a particular religious and cultural background may look at that and see that and see nothing else but the anointing. And then say something like, see, there it is. It's in the Bible. I observed it. I saw it. The anointing is in the Bible. And then from there, they jump to the claim that their preacher is anointed in the way that nobody else is, or their church is an anointed church. If you take more time to observe what is in the context of 1 John 2, 27, you discover that the anointing here has to do with teaching. It has to do with the reception of truth. Everything before and after the verse tells you that. It's not about something today or someone today having something others cannot have or claiming some gifts that confer authority. This is about what is true, and what is true is what has come from God through the apostles. That has to be a part of whatever you do with that idea of anointing. So you can't just open the Bible and look at a verse and say, oh, look, there it is, and and then jump to whatever you want to say. That's kind of like the sheet music. There's a B-flat. Well, I love B-flats. Here's what (laughs) I want to do with that. No, authentic and careful observation must be deliberate take time, don't overlook anything. You want to know everything relevant to that text, everything you're able to know about the original setting, the writer, the circumstance, and that takes time. So when we observe, we are kind of, if we're observing carefully enough, then it's kind of building guardrails against importing our own ideas and putting them back into the text, presuppositions and that's another big danger in Bible study is, and, and we all, regardless of our background, we all have those presuppositions that we can tend to, I want to find a passage that will confirm what I already believe. And that's kind of what we're talking about in Bible study is how do we keep ourselves from doing that? If there were a switch here and you could turn the switch and your previous knowledge would go blank, that might seem to be good. However, we need to have that previous knowledge, but not be so locked into it that we impose our previous knowledge on what we're looking at. Previous knowledge 
is a part of your personal context. Mm-hmm. You know, there's literary context, immediate context, your previous knowledge. You know some things about a passage before you read it because of your previous Bible knowledge, but you want, don't want to be so locked into what you've heard before that, that you're not open to discover what's really there. Uh, that's, that's a good point. Absolutely. So as we think about at some point, then we don't want to just stay in observation for forever. We do need to move into application. So how do we transition from one to the other? Here's what's happened over and over in many different settings. And, uh, and it just shouldn't happen in a class or in a group, a verse is read. A guy gets up Bible class at a church building or in a home, some, a group study. And a guy gets up, he reads a passage. Then he goes back to verse one and he reads verse one. And then he points to the first person on the first row. And he says, Mary, what does that mean to you? And Mary responds with comments that are personal subjective, but often without observing what the writer meant for his readers at all. This may be the first time Mary's ever heard that verse, but she's going to read that verse and she's going to be therapeutic personally. Well, here's what that means to me, but she's not getting to the, to the heart of scripture. That's not application. That's imposing your personal circumstance onto a passage based on how you feel in the moment. Mm-hmm. But then the teacher of that class will do something again. He'll say, all right, thank you, Mary. Bill, what does that verse mean to you? And here's what Bill says. I've heard it. Well, it says what it means, and it means what it says. (laughs) Are we not so enriched spiritually now? (laughs) So you have to go back, start with the text. Who was the writer? What was the original setting? And carefully and deliberately observe all of that before you move to application. And uh, uh, you want to be certain that your application isn't something you've already decided that pertains to you, but may not be in that passage at all. Have you guys heard Matthew McConaughey preach? (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't think I have. He's a member of a big community church in Austin. I think it's called Riverbend and they will have him read scripture and teach Bible classes. There's some YouTube videos and uh, th- there's no doubt that McConaughey is articulate and he has some very, very clearly structured ways of thinking and doing things in his, uh, in his mind. And he will read a passage and he will read a passage well as far as oral interpretation is concerned. And then he'll use that passage to talk about his worldview, his philosophy of life, his way of producing movies and and his structure that's in his head already. That's what we want to avoid. We've got to use the microscope and binoculars and telescope and look all around before we ever go to application. Mm-hmm. So what, coming back to our first John text, if, if someone were to, maybe you're teaching a Bible class on first John chapter four, verses one through six, and you've observed what's there, you've gotten the main idea. It's about discernment and 
telling the difference between truth and error, what would be some principles that you would use to make application? So how would you apply that main idea to your life as a Christian today? I would say there has always been truth and error. It's a reality for everybody. It's not just a reality for John and uh, the false teachers and those who were being led away by the false teachers. It wasn't just a reality for the prophets. It wasn't just a reality when Jesus was on the earth and when Paul did his work. It is always a reality. There's truth and error. So everybody will always have to do this. You'll always have to discern between truth and error. And the way you do that is by being, if I may say it this way, anointed with the truth that God has delivered. You are absolutely certain of this. And once you're certain of this, you're able to detect any counterfeit. And then another application I would make would be, we're called to help people discern. If somebody is living in error and they're following a trail that's leading them away from God into false religion, we have obligation there to go back and show them what 1 John 4 says and to help them with discernment. So I've got a personal application. I've got to discern between truth and error that I'm going to help others, but I can't really get to that until I've observed what discernment is in that passage. Now, some passages do not have a direct application for us. Mm -hmm. There are narrative passages uh, in the Old Testament that do not have a direct application. I'll give you one example. I'm so thankful that when I read Genesis 6, I come away with no obligation to build an ark. <laughs> Lowe's doesn't even carry gopher wood. <laughs> now, there's an indirect application, and that would be the idea of a diligent, responsive obedience to God about things you don't perfectly understand in the future. And Hebrews 11 helps us with those kind of applications. But there are some passages, narrative passages, there are passages that talk about people going certain places, and, and it has a geographic setting to it, passages that have no direct application for us. Jesus told the apostles, go to Jerusalem. Well, I, I can't afford it. And uh, so there are some passages that do not have a direct application, but an indirect application. There is never a time when you ignore context. Before you get to application, even in Proverbs, every passage in the Bible has a setting. And if we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we're going to take the time to be accurate in observation, and that will just lead us toward application and consistent discipleship. So as we saw just a second ago in looking at that application from 1 John 4, we need to discern between truth and error. That sounds like something that's quote unquote simple. That wasn't some, so maybe the mountaintop experience I was expecting to take away from that, maybe in that Bible study. But does simple application mean easy application? Are those two the same things? No, once you arrive after careful study to the destination of application, I think the hard part is the personal challenge of it. Mm -hmm. The hard part is not the academic 
part, putting data in your head. The hard part is the challenge part of it. In 1 John 4, the main idea of discernment is pretty simple to see, but not necessarily easy to apply. It requires effort and courage to maintain that healthy commitment to truth that will enable you to oppose error. I'll tell you a good passage that to bring up talking about all this. 1 Corinthians 15, moving from information, transforming you to application. 1 Corinthians 15, most Bible students are familiar with. Paul starts out talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and uh, that that was authenticated by over 500 witnesses. And so you have the resurrection of Christ, and you have witnesses. And then he addresses the matter of some who said there is no resurrection. And I think what Paul does at that point, he says, God can do this. God can do resurrection. He did it with Christ, and Paul makes another connection here. He's going to do it with his faithful people. So there's a connection between the resurrection of Christ and the authentication of it, the fact that God can raise the dead and that he will and that takes you out to the future. And there's some difficult places in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the analogies from uh, agriculture and so forth about God raising the dead, how God can change things. And, and you can get bogged down in all that. It's a long chapter, but look at where he's headed. Look at where he's headed. The last verse, you got your application. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, can you imagine being in a Bible class and, that we were talking about earlier, and the guy says, the guy reads just that last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, and he says, Mary, what does that mean to you? She says, well, I've always liked that word, therefore. No, you, you can't do anything with that until you've looked back at how Paul got there. Mm -hmm. And, and so there, there's some difficulty in 1 Corinthians 15, but if you hang in there, Paul has a destination. He goes to application. Why should I be steadfast and immovable? Because Jesus was raised and God will raise his people to glory. I love that chapter because it's such a good pattern for what good Bible study looks like. And it's a good illustration of the fundamental point that that's the direction that our Bible study needs to take is we begin with good observation that leads to proper interpretation, but it has to end with application. We can't just stop with the downloading of information and I think sometimes that's where we tend to stop in our Bible studies, whether it's a group um, Bible study, uh, Bible class at church or a small group, or if it's just our Bible reading, we tend to want to just read it, get the information, boom, I'm done. But we can't stop there. And one of my favorite examples of that is in Luke 10, when Jesus talks to the Jewish scribe and, you know, the greatest commandment comes into the picture Jesus says, how does it read to you? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, 
you have answered correctly. And wishing to justify himself, he said, who is my neighbor? And so he, he had the right answer, but he didn't have the proper application to that. And I think that is so often us, we have the right information, but we don't have the time or take the time to apply it to ourselves. That's right. An old preacher, a friend of mine, I grew up with him, Harold Turner in uh, Arkansas. He's, he's an excellent expositor of scripture. And to teach a Bible class, he would take you step by step analytically through the text. And he would define the key words and he'd identify the main idea. And then the last 10 minutes of his class would be, so what? And he's always told young preachers, always put a so what at the end of your exposition. What, what am I going to do now? When I leave the building, go out there. How am I going to use this? Yeah. So as we transition from Bible study to Bible reading, and I think there is you know, some difference there, obviously some overlap. But we also wanted to get your thoughts on just daily Bible reading. It's something we've talked about in our podcast some. Do you, do you have a, a routine that you follow for daily Bible reading? And if so, what does that look like? Sometimes it looks like me getting behind. <laughs> I, I must confess that. Mm-hmm. Many years ago here in McAllen, we started using Lagarde Smith's Daily Bible which is a uh, chronological arrangement of the Bible in a harmony timeline structure. And it is marked according to the calendar. And so if I'm on May the 27th, I open up to May 27, and uh, I read four or five pages there, and it takes you all the way through the Bible. And uh, in, in sections of the Bible in Chronicles and in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where there's repetition, the, the repeated text may not be there. It's in chronological order. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I try to do that early in the morning, but I do get behind. I get caught up in my deadlines. And when I do, I don't beat myself up. I go back to whatever that day is. I don't try to catch up. And we've been doing this for Ever since this came out, and I think that was uh, around 20 years ago, it's what most of our people do. Uh, We do not make what plan you use uh, a test of fellowship. (laughs) So we have people in the local church who use other plans. My wife uses UVerse app on her phone, and uh, it's, it's audio. I tried using other plans. One thing I don't like about this, I don't get to the New Testament till October. Oh, wow. And so sometimes what I like to do is do a New Testament plan. Mark Roberts has some good New Testament plans, and uh, I look around for other plans, but I always seem to come back to this. It's what I'm familiar with. I did a 90-day plan one time. That took an hour a day, Hmm. and I thought I was reading too quickly, but uh, this is is what I usually do. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, just briefly to that, is there a something we can do in getting caught up in either, we're reading too slowly or too quickly? That sounds like you know four or five pages a day. You said with that particular arrangement, what would be something that if we're 
trying to build good habits and we don't want to overfeed ourselves, we also don't want to underfeed ourselves, what would be a good starting point? Well, in terms of, you're talking about in terms of pace, I think. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you do a quick read for your daily Bible reading. Don't mm -hmm. get stuck. When we first started this about 20 years ago, and uh, all the members had a copy, my, my phone would ring all the time, and somebody would be over in Leviticus, and they'd be stuck. Mm -hmm. And they would say, boy, that really is strange what they had to do. Can you explain that? And um, I'd try to explain it, and then a few days later, they'd be somewhere in Second Kings, and why did he do that? I would say do a quick read. One of the things you're trying to do with daily Bible reading is to pick up the main idea of the Bible, hmm. the thread, the big story, God's redemption story. And if you do a quick read, you can go back later and navigate some of those difficulties and oddities, but do a quick read. And another thing you're doing, you're picking up the timeline. Mm-hmm. And you're getting more familiar with the timeline when the preacher gets up and he says, when the Jewish exiles came out of Babylon, you pretty much know where that is. And right. you, you pretty much know where he's going with that. So my idea in daily Bible reading is don't get stuck. Just get the reading done. Sounds good. Towards the end of last year, you released a series of videos. I believe it was on the Laurel Heights Facebook page. Wasn't that right? You had yes. seven Ps of Bible reading. Could you talk just briefly about what those are, and we'll probably post a, a link to those videos or where people could find them if they wanted to catch them up more, but what, what's that all about? Okay, I'll, I'll try to send you something, maybe a Google folder that will have those in there, and you can share it as you see fit. At the end of each year, in the beginning of each year, I try to talk to our members here about daily Bible reading, and I try to do it differently every year. I used to have one sermon, and every December, you know, and I could see people kind of settling in, you know. <laughs> Here comes the sermon on daily Bible reading. So I decided that I needed to vary that. I needed to do something different every year to get people interested and reminded of the task as the year begins. So I came up with these seven things. Uh, purpose. What is your purpose? Is it just to mark off that you read? What is your purpose? Your plan. What plan are you going to use? Always accompany it with prayer. Persevere. If you miss a day, don't go back and try to catch up. Just keep going. Sometimes it will be necessary because of what's happening in your life to pause and ponder. You get over into the book of Proverbs. No matter what's going on in your life, you're going to read something in Proverbs that'll pull a trigger in your life. Mm -hmm. And you might want on those occasions to pause and just do some inner reflection about that. Pause and ponder is what I call that. Practice, you're always reading with a view toward practicing what you discover God wants you to do. And pace, I think I've already talked about that. Try to set a pace, uh, maybe have, a lot of people have the same place in their home where they read and the same time when they read. I would encourage married couples to get in the habit very early of reading together, families reading together, and uh, making provision for your children to read. Your children might not want to hear 30 minutes of Leviticus. <laughs> it may just blow their minds. So I try to do something every year to remind people about daily Bible reading. Well, that's been 
very helpful for me. I know watching those videos at the end of last year and we were talking about daily Bible reading in our podcast. Those were just a lot of exciting things to do and to, to be reminded of. As we close towards the end or we come towards the end of our time together this morning, we have four final questions. The first being a question we ask everyone uh, just to get their thoughts. This podcast originally came from the idea of hearing the phrase deeper Bible study. I'd hear somebody on another podcast or listening to another preacher or read something in a book that would encourage you need to be deeper or get deeper into your Bible study or five tips to get deeper in Bible study. Brother Warren, if someone asked you, what is deeper Bible study? How would you answer that? Well, I don't think I'd ever recommend shallow Bible study. (laughs) That would cause you to draw an unwarranted conclusion about being anointed. Um, I suppose if you're teaching a Bible class, you want to be prepared in a very comprehensive way for something that might come up or something you might have missed. You might do word studies, look at the biblical languages. You might look at grammatical structure and things of that nature, things that you might not bring up in the class. I think a lot of Bible teachers effectively do that. They go deep, very deep in their study. Uh, but they don't necessarily need to bring all that up in the class. They're, they're just becoming conversant with the passage. Mm-hmm. I think the kind of depth that all of us should be interested in is spiritual depth, mm-hmm. personal spiritual depth. That should be what we're looking for, not academic collection of data. And I'll add this. It is possible for a Bible teacher or preacher to go so deep that he can't be found by his audience. Mm -hmm. He can't be found by students or listeners. He's at the bottom of the sea, and they're up on the surface looking for him. Where'd he go? (laughs) What is he talking about? How is this going to help me? So I think we need to take that word deep and emphasize that the depth that we're all after, preacher, teacher, member, is spiritual depth. And that's more about application than it is uh, academic collection of data. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you had to pick your favorite Bible character as of today, and you can't say Jesus, who would you say is your favorite Bible character? Barnabas. Oh, that's a familiar answer on this program. I'll tell you, I think this last year, Barnabas and his attitude has become very popular. Mm -hmm. We want to encourage people. People are down after this year and a half. And uh, so we need a proliferation of that Barnabas factor all over. So you didn't even give me a hint about what this was going to be, where this was going to go, but I didn't, I didn't hesitate. You didn't hesitate a second with that. That's right. Now you thought I was going to say Zacchaeus, right? (laughs) Maybe short deal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Randy Harshbarger, Mm -hmm. uh, bless his heart. He's, he's doing better now. You know, he is been sick. He's doing better. But he was speaking at the Florida College Lectureship one year, and he called me Zacchaeus from the podium. <laughs> so I, I guess it'd be Barnabas, and then if I had a second choice, it'd have to be Zacchaeus. <laughs> well, there we go. Let's see if yours 
as much hesitation or a little hesitation with this one. What about your favorite Bible book as of right now? Favorite Bible book? Oh, there's more hesitation. I think it would be Philippians. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, for part of the same reason. Been pretty easy to lose your joy the last year and a half. Yeah. We, are, we do goals every year at Laurel Heights, and uh, we're just taking our goals right out of Philippians. For example, forgetting the things that are past and reaching forward to the things that are ahead. So I, I think it would be Philippians. Philippians is just, uh, it's joy from start to finish, but without any compromise uh, about uh, living according to the word of the Lord. Philippians would be it. There we go. Now, I know you're from Arkansas, isn't that right? And you've That's lived right. in Arkansas and Texas and probably a few other places in the country. So in all your, your years of wisdom and experience and, and places you've lived, if we wanted to find the best barbecue, where are we going to go to find that? Lockhart. Lockhart, mm-hmm. Texas. You have a a place you're thinking of, a hole-in-the-wall place in your mind, or is there a Spring Creek there that's just better than all the other Spring Creeks? No, I'm not talking about Spring Creek. (laughs) I'm talking about Black's Barbecue in Lockhart, Texas. We'll have to remember that for any of our folks who end up traveling through Texas. Uh, But it's going to be Black's in Lockhart. What what is it about uh, their barbecue? You know, a barbecue place is not just about how they fix the meat. I have to have tender ribs. They have to be falling off the bone. Then I got to have some cobbler. <laughs> I got to have some casseroles. Uh, I've got to have an atmosphere. Uh, I, I've got to see old wood. <laughs> in the, <laughs> and it's got to have a smell to it. Now, my wife doesn't like mesquite, so we have to be careful about that. Uh, you know, and when I come out of a barbecue place, I want to smell like the place. <laughs> People to know you've been there. Yeah. I've given you way too much information. I'm sorry. Well, you're still shorter than when we asked Mark about coffee. So that's, that's all right. right. He went on for another uh, 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> and Brother, he's still talking about it right now. I bet he probably <laughs> is. Brother Warren, we appreciate your thoughts on um, not just barbecue, but on your thoughts for Bible study and Bible reading today, very helpful things for, for Emerson and I, and we believe will be helpful for our yes. audience as well. Thank you for, for your time and your wisdom and for all that you helped us with today. May God continue to bless you and your family and your work there with the McAllen Church. Yeah, really rich time today. Thank you so much for your, your wisdom and your encouragement. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. God bless both of you. Preach the word. Emerson, as we come out of our conversation with Brother Warren today, what's your one thing from our discussion? I, I think I really like the way he described the context when we were talking about observing, and the illustrations that he used were just really helpful for me as he 
kind of laid three levels, the microscope, the telescope, and the binoculars. It's just helpful to see that there are different levels of context. And even when he was talking about our personal context, that it's we, we all have a personal context and we mm-hmm. have to be aware of that. But that's not what determines the meaning of the text. It's what we see in the passage through the microscope, telescope, and binoculars. And, and also the B-flat illustration was just really <laughs> helpful. You know, we can't just pull a verse out and say, this is what it means, because there's other, there's other notes. There's an orchestra that's playing as we're reading the Bible. And so that was really helpful to just think about how he described the context with those illustrations. Mm-hmm. What about for you? What stood out to you? I think when he was talking about observation early on and just mentioning how observation relates to looking for everything the Spirit says in a particular passage or looking for everything the Spirit is revealing in a particular passage, particularly you know, wanting to find that main point and trying to see how the rest of that passage builds up to that point and knowing that observation is not just looking at it, it's about identifying lots of stuff. And I know we've talked about that before in our program, but it was helpful to hear him talk about it and to be reminded of that particular point about looking for the main point. So, mm-hmm. And so to our listeners, we want to leave you with our challenge. What is your one thing? As you were listening to Brother Berkeley talk about Bible study or Bible reading, what was it that stood out to you the most about Bible study and Bible reading? And more importantly, how will you implement that today? Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today. We again want to express our thanks to Brother Berkeley for joining us for this discussion. We'll have lots of resources uh, where you can find more about Brother Warren and the work that he's doing or has done in our show notes, as well as some resources he's recommended to us. If you're interested in finding those series of videos he did about Bible reading from the end of last year, I believe you can go to the Laurel Heights Facebook page and find those on there. Or if you're interested in getting that in a Google Drive form, you can reach out to us and we can share that with you. Next week, we'll be back in our discussion of the whole story, talking about the book of Acts, coming off of the Gospels from our episode before this, and seeing what we learn about Jesus in there. We're picking up with the sequel to the Gospels, we could call it. We're thinking about our TV show illustrations we've been using sometimes. But we're still looking for just that international space station level view of the book of Acts and what's going on as it fits into the whole story. Until then, if there are other questions or topics or books of the Bible you would like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Am I doing okay on time? Yeah. Yeah, okay. There's no time limit, so you're all good with that. Okay. We'll we'll stay till about 11. Uh, (laughs) Paul starts out talking about uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Thank you.